0: program transcribed and dedicated to the prevention of crime. Calling all cars, attention all cars, broadcast 152. Investigator reported robbery at service station on a third and Get out there right away. at all. It's awesome. certain of this old adage as the person who turns the pages of the official records of crime. Here are uncovered those quirks of the human mind which, when translated into action, makes crime so puzzling, not only to the average citizen, but even to the trained police officer. Mr. Average Citizen is prone to shrug his shoulders and let the explanation come from the police. It is astonishing with what cunning the criminal hides his intent. Always the police find it, uncover it, and the case is solved. It is this time of case we are about to hear. A cunning killer, the motive hidden, actions that only a psychiatrist could explain. A strange crime indeed. But to tell you more of it would be to take away interest from this extraordinary story. So let us now listen to The Laughing Killer. Oh. March 7th, 1936. Inside the San Mateo Police headquarters, there is little to relieve the monotony of the day. Broken only by the deep hum of some casual fly, silence occupies the room. Suddenly, the phone on the robbery detail's desk begins ringing, rings until answered. San Mateo Police, robbery no detail. It is, it is still. still. I've it been held up. Where? Over at the gas station. You know, over here on Show Dems's. Yeah? How long ago was that? Just a few minutes ago. Okay, we'll send someone over. You can tell them all about it. Okay. Yeah, they'll be right over. All right, boys. Get on over there. Okay, if you just give us a description of these men and fill out this report, we'll see what we can do for them. Sure. We're all dressed about the same way. All that overcoat. You said something about guns, too, did you? Yeah, they, they all had guns. Notice what kind of guns? Why, no. Uh, no, uh, I didn't. Oh, what color were the overcoats? Uh, color? Yeah. Well, uh, let me see. I think they were gray. Uh, yes, they were gray. Did you identify them? The men I knew, mean, if you saw them again. Well, no, I, I don't know. know. Were left did they? No, that, that is true. Uh, I don't think so. You don't think so? No, uh, I'm sure they didn't. I couldn't see them very well. I know. Well, they have their coat collars turned up, you know, high over their faces. they wear hats? Yeah. Both of them? Yeah. How about the other? The yeah, other? Yeah, you said there were three. but the third wear a hat? Uh, oh, uh, yes. Uh, rather, uh, no. He didn't wear a hat. What did he look like? Uh, I can't seem to remember very well. Uh, he was sort of scarred. You don't seem very sure of all this, young fellow. First you say there were three of them, and then you say both wore hats. You can't give us a description. You're sure you were held up. Yeah, I was. And what did the men look like? They're all big Let me think of these. Blonde, dark-haired, red-headed, what? They were all sort of dark. here. Well, three of them? Uh, yeah. I'm sure of that. How could you tell that? You said they had hats on and wore their coat collars turned up. Oh, well. Oh, my old fellow, give us a straight story on this. Well, you mean you'd, you'd, you don't believe me, or that I was robbed, I mean? Hardly. But, but I'm on the level. Oh, this isn't getting anywhere. I, uh... Oh, all right. As a matter of fact, I wasn't robbed. That's just what I figured. Now, what's the idea? I needed some gold so I framed you, I only took joking drugs. You mean you hoped you'd believe that story of yours and spend a lot of time looking for three birds who didn't even exist while you spent the money? Is that it? Why oh, I didn't <laughs> care whether your fellows ever looked for them or not. This is so long as I got the thirteen five. Where What do you live? Oh, uh, I acquired a house in uh, Woodside. I lived there. What you, acquired. I got it in the trade deal, you know, uh, swapping things around. Where would you get it from? A woman. It was Ada French. She traded it to me for an automobile and some lots up on Skyline Boulevard. Is that a deed to it? A deed. Yeah, it's a certificate of all of you. No, I no, uh, haven't. I think we'd better take this fellow into the station, Ed. The more he talks, the I do. Here, too. Come on, Charles, you're going to take a little ride with us. Oh, enough. Can't you both just sort of a all this and let me go? I, I would not pull anything like it again. No, not a chance. You've already pulled enough. Matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised to see the judge give you 30 days for this trip. Come on, put on your hat. Oh. For his attempted hopes, Jerome room draws just that 30 days in the San Mateo jail. But during the first week of his stay there, he spends his time laughing one minute and telling all sorts of strange stories the next. Finally, after 12 days of his sentence were passed, the police saw Sheriff McGrath of San Mateo County tell him about their storytelling prisoner. His curiosity aroused, Sheriff McGrath decides to have a talk with Sells. Sells, they tell me you've been spinning some tall yarns over at the jailhouse. All right. I don't know if you'd call them yarns, Sheriff. What are you in for? Oh, I needed some dose out him till I hope so at the service station. Took some cash out of the till and reported it as a hold. Well, how about this house you talked about? The one in Woodside? I understand you got to see some sort of a tray. Yeah, that's right. What's with the details of that tray, Sheriff? Oh, that kind of mixed up. It took a long time to say. Oh, that's all right. I've got the time. You <laughs> think you're in no hurry to get anywhere? Not for a while, anyway. Again. Well, uh, I got the house from a woman who owned it. It was some property I had up in Oregon and a call for it. Mm-hmm. What was her name, Charles? A friend. Ada French. Where is she now? Uh, where is she now? Well, that's the house go. What's so funny? just one of those things, Charles. She ran up with a Bulgarian army officer. <laughs> I don't know what she looking Well, I still don't see anything so funny in That's because you don't know her. His name was Barron Ridge. How do you spell that, sir? Uh, what? Yeah. What? Well, I don't know. B-A-R-O-N. Uh, no. I guess. bold word. Yeah. Uh, army officers. <laughs> yeah, at least. That's what he said. I see. Now, sir, there's another little thing you might be able to explain for me. Where'd you get all the money you've been spending lately? Huh? I've learned that you've been spending a lot of cash lately. The word you get it. As a matter of fact, Ada can't put a bank account to me before she's an of guy. Oh, did you? Yeah. Why? Why? That's right. Why? <laughs> well, I guess this because she kind of likes me. I know her pretty well, and she just decided to have it. That's all. I don't know, have any idea where she is now. Nope. Next to the the sheriff somewhere with that fair which rich <laughs> guy. <laughs> You're pretty happy about all this, aren't you, Well, <laughs> Not exactly happy. I get a kick out of the old lady running after the Bulgarian army officer and leaving all her dough to me. <laughs> Why wouldn't I? Well, of course. Why wouldn't you? You're enough to do that. I got a right to have a laugh out of it, oh, haven't I? Why sure. You can laugh all you want. There's only one thing. I'm afraid you'll have to do your laughing over in our jail for a while. Just until I find out a little more about your elderly lady friend, Mrs. French. Yes, you don't mind me. Do me? Mind? No, go right ahead. <laughs> I think it's funny. <laughs> I got a big kick out of the <laughs> So the mirth stricken and is placed in the county jail. And Paris McGrath set out to find out a few more details of his association with the romantic Mrs. French. And accompanied by Deputy Sheriff Thomas Maloney, he questions the neighbors near the Woodside house. No, there never was anybody by the name of French lived around here. There was a Mrs. Ada Rice lived at the place you mentioned, but I never heard of a French. So I knew Ada Rice. knew a pretty well, too. I a could figure out where she went to. That young fellow that lives here now said she'd run off and got married. But that was nearly a year ago. I've often thought about her. She was a mighty fine woman, believe me. Yes, yes, Mrs. Ray's ship transfer her bank account to this fellow's phone. No, she didn't come in herself, just did it by signature. Surely, if you want a copy of the transfer, you're more than welcome to. I never did exactly understand the relationship between young Charles and Mrs. Rice, but it wasn't any of my business, so I didn't pay any attention to it. Now, here's what I want you to do. This piece of paper has a signature on it. You see them? Ada Rice. Now, here's another piece of paper. It's the same signature on it. I want you to tell me that they were both made by the same person. Mm-hmm. 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 No, no, I wouldn't say that they were made by the same person, Sheriff. This one here is a coffee. Fairly good one, too, but not perfect by a long way. That's all I want to know. Come on, Tom. I'm anxious to see what our friend Charles can think up as answers to the questions we found for Hello, Sheriff. Sir, sure. Deputy Maloney and I have been asking a few questions. I'm not exactly satisfied with the results. I want you to see if you can get it settled. What are they? Well, in the first place, you told us that the woman you got that house from was named French. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And yet her name is Rice. Ada Rice. Now, why's the in name? Mm-hmm. I don't think I want to answer that one yet, sir. Try another. All right. I've picked a copy of the bank transfer, and it's a forgery. What do you say to that? A forgery. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to tell me you didn't pour the Rice's as <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell you anything, Sheriff. Why should I? Because you're getting in deeper every time you tell one of your lies. The will go pretty hard with you before this is over, that's why. Sorry, Sheriff, I don't feel like talking now. <laughs> <laughs> why don't you go out and find that Bulgarian army officer, Baron Rich? Maybe he can tell you a few things. There's one more thing I'd like to ask you, Sheriff. The people who live out near your place tell me you've been seen in an automobile several times, driving it. Where's that car now? I give it to Ada. It's part of the train. You'll mm-hmm. find Dan with the generator. Maybe you'll find the car, too. <laughs> All right, take it back to the show. we will have to get the real stories and some other sources. But true I can't listen to this laughing hyena anymore. Take <laughs> it away. Back at the Woodside House. A draft gets a description of the missing car, as a bulletin sent out to all points to be on the lookout for it, then proceeds to delve into the laughing Jerry past. Two days later, a report comes in from Burlingame that the car has been located in a garage there. An immediate check with officials of that city brings to light the fact that it is the same car which several months back had been reported stolen from a Burlingame residence, that the owner had collected insurance on it at that time. And with this added twist to the already puzzling case, McGrath, once again, faces his prisoner. Once again, asks questions. You're in for deep right now, toad. As soon as you decide to talk, the better it's going to be. Now, what about this stolen car business? Well, what about it? Where'd you get it? I didn't... Hmm. What do you mean by that? You didn't walk. I didn't have a stolen car. I told you what happened to mine. Oh, that and a lot of other things, too. But every time I check on your stories, they turn out to be lies. Oh, come on. Why don't you just settle down? Get your feet in the ground. Tell me to get straight on all this mess. No. I think I've said enough for a while. I don't feel like saying any more. Sorry, Sheriff. But that's the way it goes. All right, Sheriff. Keep on making a tough horse. But you know you're being silly, Lindsay. Because as long as you refuse to cooperate with it, you're staying right here in jail. All right. <laughs> you thank my friend fair and I And mean, then I tell you a lot of things. <laughs> a lot of things you never even thought of. <laughs> oh, take it back to jail. I'm <laughs> getting tired of that to <laughs> And back to his cell he goes, laughing at his hidden jokes, insinuating to his escort that he knows many things, but that he won't tell them yet. Sheriff McGrath, after a night of pondering the case, decides to try slightly different tactics. Accordingly, the next day, McGrath, Maloney, and another deputy take cells over to his house at Woodside. For several hours, they go over the house with him, asking questions writing down the answers, then asking the same questions over again. Finally, McGrath begins a psychological experiment. Good on, Jerry. Might as well take it as this Are you going to stay here? Why, oh, sure. Why not? I don't know. Why okay. That's it, down. That's the idea. Make yourself comfortable. you sure the place to do it, eh, John? Yeah. Soft street, Nice easy pillow. A great little spot. You said you were pretty happy up here, Jerry. Right? Yeah. I was. You lived here when Mrs. Wright had the place? Yeah, some time. No, a great spot, all right. Wouldn't mind living here myself. Of course, there's only one thing about it. how that The flies. I never could stand a lot of flies about me, Where do you see flies? Right outside the window, there a whole flock of them. A big bottlenecks. I can't see any. Sure, I can see them. Hear them, too. Can't you, sir? Sure. Yeah, I don't like them. They're sort of, you know, unpleasant. Always buzzing around, looking for some place to sit down, get a meal. Yeah. Guess that's what those are looking for now. Stop talking about Slidesville, <laughs> yeah. so Well, What's the matter with you, Jerry? You look kind of pale. Look at him, Tom, as white as a sheet, Yeah. Must be upset about something. Is that it, Sam? No. No. There's nothing the matter with me. Only I mean, your you lay out that talk about flies? You're making a lot of fuss over the form of bottle that flies, Jerry. Really. How come they upset you, sir? Remind you son? Yes. Yeah. Come up, Why don't you tell us about it, Jerry? We'd like to hear it, wouldn't we, Tom? Sure. What's so important about a bunch of flies buzzing around, Sam? Please, I can't stand it any longer. <laughs> flies never hurt anyone's toes. Not badly, I mean. They just buzz around looking for food. Just the same as you are. Only they're flies, Oh, I right, said... i tell you. I can there are. I said, i right here in this house. Now, will you stop talking about flying, Will you please? Well, Sam, will you still there. Tell me. Oh, Sam, it. She was gone. What did you do with Mrs. Rice's body after you'd murdered her? I can't talk anymore now. I killed her. That's all I can say. Now, will you take me out of here? Take me back to jail, Anywhere. Only let's get out of here. All right, sir. We'll take you back to jail. And you stay there until you get ready to tell us the whole story. So come on, let's get going. It was a mistake on my part. An awful awesome mistake. You see, Ada. Ada used to come into my gas station for gas and oil all the time. She got those who was coming off now every week. And then she began asking me to go out to the house with her for dinner. Things like that. Oh, you weren't. Naturally. What would you have done? I'm I'm only human, aren't I? She was older, and. But what Chipman says is amazing. All this business has nothing to do with what happened that night, anyway. I don't know why I'm telling you about uh, it. Go ahead, Jerry. You can shift the morning to Mr. J. What they wanted is how to do kill her? And what did you do with her afterwards? Yeah. Yeah. I know what you want. I'll tell you. I went out to the house that night. When I got there, it was all dark. Inside the house, it was dark. So I knocked the door. I had a key by then, and I went inside. It was so dark; I couldn't see anything, and I searched my way along until suddenly I said something. Someone. I, I thought it was... Spirum. Go on, George. You thought it was nothing. I it was spirum. And I decided to fix him. So I reached down in the fireplace and grabbed the poker. I could hear someone breathe and hide me in. And I swung the poker around in the circle. I hit something, and I... I had I a heavy fall. Then... I guess I've been a little crazy because I remember meeting that and feeding it some more, beating it until the waiting stopped. I do on i I discovered my mistake. It was Mrs. Ross, yeah. I killed her by mistake. Where was Boundary? Boundary. 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 He She wasn't there. She's gone, I guess. You know, dear, it's a funny thing. Up to this point I think you've been telling the truth. But as soon as you started tumbling around now, I, I have a hunch of lying again. How about it? I told you, I said I didn't I I told you how I did it. Isn't that it now? Oh, I want two more things. Where's your body? And what about this baroness person? I'm uh-huh. talking enough. I'm not saying any more about anything. You can ask me questions till you're blue in the face and the answer is no. I don't know. Once again, one moment laughing, one moment serious, Jerome Sells decides to close up, refuses to make any more statements to clarify the ones he has already made. But used to his ways by now, Sheriff McGrath instructs the deputies to return to jail, settles down to await the killer's next talking spell. And two days later, his patience is rewarded. When Sells asks to see him, sends word he is ready to talk. And in McGrath's office, a little later... Hello, Jerry. Sit down. Thanks. Well, so you decided to tell to the story, that right? Sure, I'll tell you, sheriff. In fact, I'll do more than that. I'll show you how to get out to where she is. That's fine, very fine. I thought you'd see the light before long. Well, you know me, sheriff. I've got to be in the mood before I talk. That stubborn freak in me somewhere, I guess, that makes me as mean as that devil sometimes. I know that only too well by now. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you do. Anyway, you'll find the out to Boulder Creek Road to about eleven miles northeast of Saratoga. You're sure, Jesus? Well, I ought to be. Just before you picked me up, I took a ride out there and made sure. Come on, let's go. I need the air. And after a drive out the Boulder Creek Road, Bill suddenly points to a large clump of bushes, indicating to be the hiding place. A moment later, Sheriff McGrath is in possession of the long-missing body of Mrs. Ada Rice. Loading it aboard the car, the group starts back to road to the morgue, and suddenly the paradoxical Mr. Fells turns to the sheriff, asks a strange question. Hey, uh, Sheriff, did you ever get the wire out that, uh, that other fellow? Who? What other fellow? Oh, I I forgot. I haven't told you about that, have have I? Well, I just would. I might as well. There's no reason why I shouldn't. I got that Baron this guy after all. You, you mean you killed him, too? Sure, why not? You see, he was in the house, and I, I killed Ada. And he knew I'd done it. So a little while afterwards, he started calling me up and asking for money. He said he'd turn me in if I didn't raise some cash for him. But I told him to get out of my bail. I'd get him, too, and he stopped calling. You said you killed him. I did. He came back to the house one night, and when I walked in the door, there he was. Sitting in a chair with a thirty-eight in his hand. Why I could do anything, he jammed it in at me, and I struggled with him. But you nice, got it. I hit him over the head a few times, and he fell down. Are you sure you're telling me the truth, Jerry? Yes. Sure, I'm giving you the trade good, Sheriff. All right, go ahead. What'd you do then? Get some heavy bailing wire and I wrapped him up in it. Then I found some of lead and I them him out. Finally, I drove him out to the bridge and dumped him out. I see that he'd probably washed his soul by now. That's why I asked about the uh, wire. Well, I don't know, Jerry. i I don't know when to believe you and when not to. However, I've got an idea. if I can promote it, we'll see how much truth there is in your story. What do you mean? Simply that I'm going to get in touch with Inspector Pigeon of Berkeley and ask him a favor. If he falls in with the idea, you're going to have a chance to try lying to the lie detector. I'm anxious to see how it comes out. Step on it, Maloney. And a few days later, in Inspector Pigeon's office at Berkeley, Jerry Fells, the laughing killer, sits before a strangely constructed machine. Around his arm is a blood pressure winding. In front of him are numerous instruments for indicating changes of heartbeat, quickened and false. Quietly, Inspector Pigeon asks the question, watches his apparatus as it responds, false or true. Now, Charles, I... I want you to repeat what I say. Okay, Inspector. It's are I want you to say I did not kill Mrs. Wright. But, but I did. That's all right. You repeat what I said. Okay. I did not kill Mrs. Price. Now, I'm going to ask you to notice that instrument hand in front of you, Sheriff. It has registered an uneven line during Sells' last statement. That indicates an increased heartbeat, or, to our way of figuring, a lie. Now, Sells, will you tell us what you did to burn this Oh, I I killed him. Hit him with a gun and tied him up with bailing wire. Do you notice the line, sir? I do. It's wiggling all over the place. Naturally, the lie detector cannot be used as direct evidence. Its testimony is not acceptable in a court. But as far as we can go, the detector is telling us that this man is lying. Hurry, right, so long, Inspector Fidgen. Well, If you'll get cells out from under that machine, I'll take him back to Sam McGill. He's probably lonesome for his jail cell by now. How about it, Jerry? <laughs> 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 Once back in jail, Jerome Fell settles down to a fairly existence, broken only by his spasmodic moments of laughter. And Sheriff McGrath, his case complete, turns the evidence over to District Attorney Gilbert Fettel. On March 12, 1936, Fell stands before Superior Court Judge Cotton, plead guilty to the crime. Then, before Judge Cotton pronounces sentence, Fettel makes a closing statement. Your Honor... At this time, I should like to recommend that the defendant be spared the extreme penalty. He has cooperated with the law throughout this trial. He's pled guilty, therefore saving a great deal of time and money for the county. He's also showed his willingness to cooperate by identifying the body of his victim, Ada Rice. And he's the only man who could have done this, due to reasons you already know. However, I ask the court to make certain that it fit to impose a life sentence, to make certain that Jerome Spells will spend the rest of his life in the penitentiary. And the only way to do this is to recommend that there be no parole. Thank you, Your Honor. Jerome Spells, stand and face the court. Are you ready at this time to have sentence passed on you, Mayor? Yes. I guess so, Your Honor. Then I sentence you to spend the rest of your natural life in San Quentin Penitentiary. Furthermore, I order that you be sentenced without benefit of a parole during your lifetime. And just two months later, from his cell in San Quentin... Jerome Fell turns the final page in his macabre story, brings to a close all conjecture about his second victim. <laughs> of course, that was who he... I never killed that bird guy an army officer, Baron Witch. As a matter of fact, there never was any Baron Witch. I just made him up in his word a moment. <laughs> and I did I get a lot of laughs out of that? Why, you guys never knew who you were. <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable tale, and at the same time so ends his career as a killer. The only motive ever discovered for his crime was his desire for Ada Rice's bank account, a small prize to gain when placed beside the sentence he received. There is no chance for him to obtain his freedom from some subsequent parole board, because his sentence, without benefit of parole, precludes death. Only death can free him from his cell. The police and the district attorney deserve great credit for their patience in uncovering the motive of the crime the successive steps which finally led to the conviction and sentence. Crime does not pay.